Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com spoken today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. <laughs> so... It's all right. I dropped my notebook. All right. (laughs) (laughs) This is wine-related japes. Right. Right. I'm going to finish the bottle. Yeah, might as well. Right, now we've got this one. Just edit me out this bit if I'm slurring. That's right. I feel like I can't modulate my words properly. Well, this is just the opening, isn't it, to the um, episode. (laughs) Britain. An ancient kingdom with legends of violence, cruelty, and torment in its blood. Join your hosts, Ross, John, and James, as they bravely tread where few would dare. Witness their journey into the horrific history of British horror. They are... The General Witchfinders. Ladies and gentlemen, goblins and ghouls, welcome back to the 38th episode of the General Witchfinders podcast. I'm James in Bournemouth in southern England. John Pountney, live in South Wales. I don't know why I'm doing it differently. I'm in a different room tonight, so I feel... (laughs) John Pountney, News at 10, Cardiff. Um, John Pountney here in South Wales, which is in the south of Wales. Still in the south of Wales. And I'm Ross in Dorchester, southern England. This time... We took part in the Quatermass experiment. You can't escape it. Maggie, look! Nothing can destroy it. It's coming for you from space to wipe all living things from the face of the Earth. Beware of the creeping unknown. This woman is about to learn a terrible secret. She will never be the same again. Because this man knows that same secret, he will never speak again. To both of them has come terror in the form of the creeping unknown. Three men went into outer space. 
Only one of them came back. Came back a strange, distorted creature, haunted and possessed by something beyond human understanding. What was the terrible secret he could not tell them? There's a whole new world out there, a wilderness, uncharted. And he's been there and come back. He's got the map. Unlock his mind for me, Briscoe, and find it. I know you can do it. It isn't just a question I know the strain and tension you've been under, but to stop now when we're so close... Brian Donlevy, he dared an experiment that shocked a nation. You've destroyed him like you've destroyed everything else you've touched, Kent. There's no room for personal feelings in science, Judith. An experiment that created the creeping unknown. entire area, evacuate all public, get information to check up every movement that's likely to take place inside this radius tonight. Yes, sir. Warn everyone not to touch anything unusual they may find in the streets. Tonight, we complete the Hammer Quatermass Trilogy, albeit out of order, with a Quatermass experiment, aka The Creeping Unknown in the US, a 1955 British science fiction horror film from Hammer Film Productions, based on the 1953 BBC television serial written by, who else? Nigel Neal. So, Ross has put, spot quiz, can John remember the three US titles for all three Hammer Quatermass films? Um... The last one, the the uh, the the Quatermass in the pit is like something like twenty million miles to Earth or something. I think. Okay, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a point for that. Yeah, for, and then the, mid, the middle one is. Oh, I don't really know what I'd. I don't know what I'd call that. I know it's just called Quatermass Two, and of course, it was the first film in film history to say two as a as a title. Wow. Okay. Suffix, but um. I'm going to say it was called um, The Creeping Terror. No, the, this is The Creeping Unknown, isn't it? Yeah. No. Space Terror or something. Oh, almost, almost. Not so, bad, it's not bad. So it's The Creeping Unknown, Enemy from Space. Enemy from Space. And Five Million Years to Earth. <laughs> yes. Well yes, done. Yes, yes, Pretty good. I'll give you that. Right. So, <laughs> good work, John. Well done. Mm. This was produced by Anthony Hines, one of the 37 films he made for Hammer. Hines wrote a number of films under the pseudonym John Elder, which he adopted after her, <laughs> which so, I, I'm assuming was Ross's, Ross's. He couldn't afford a screenwriter <laughs> for The Curse of the Werewolf. <laughs> it is directed by Val Guest, writer yeah. and director of the Cannon and Ball Vehicle and perennial VHS video <laughs> sh- uh, shop, uh, staple Boys in Blue. And Confessions of a Window oh, Cleaner. What, can I just say again, for the umpteenth time on this podcast, what a, what a fucking great <laughs> career to have. <laughs> yes. Start with what's seen as the breast... Be, breast? That, what? <laughs> that was <laughs> that, yeah, yeah I, that's an unironic uh, slip of the tongue. Um, the best British sci-fi film, but then just follow the curve into sex comedies... Uh, and then pin your hopes on on um, the TV careers of Cannon and Ball. <laughs> um, amazing. It's just amazing, isn't it? I love it. It's brilliant. Didn't Ca- Cannon and Ball just go super Christian at the end? And, oh, possibly. And, and do like, some kind of like uh, gospel tour. Um, oh. And it's just, uh, that, that's ringing a bell, Ross. It's just Tommy Cannon uh, left now, isn't it? 
I, although I have to say, ever since, Ross, I can't even remember what it was over, but we had that kind of interaction online. And hello to all our listeners, as, as always, really, really appreciate this. But like somebody from the States saying yeah. about how they, I, and oh my God, I just feel so bad now. But <laughs> you know, anyone who may be listening to us <laughs> out in, in any part of America going, what is Cannon Ball? <laughs> <laughs> what is EastEnders? Why are they what, going? What on is about a Cannon and Ball? <laughs> why, why? Why are they going on about Leslie Grantham all the time? <laughs> so I'm like, oh man, I know we should just carry on in the way in which we've become accustomed, but at the same time, I'm like, oh my god, we've got to try and trim yeah. down on the really obvious. <laughs> oh no, not at all. Because I got okay. I got a little depressed when we got our, one, our first one star review. Oh yeah, come on, oh, amazing. Yeah. Did we really? When was yeah. that? Uh, it was after we did what was it uh it was something which apparently we didn't uh, i think it was the sherlock holmes one and we didn't and apparently we just talked about star trek for half which an is hour. Uh, right right <laughs> but and someone fair, gave Ross. us a one star review yeah, yeah. Na- name right. and shame them cleaves oh gosh i can't remember no. them that come one. on no you can you know exactly what their is, name is cleaves because you've had it tattooed on your arm <laughs> To be fair, everyone, we do advertise ourselves as like some horror podcast that they just end up talking about anyway. So if someone was tuning into like, oh, I'd really love like a breakdown into the history of this film, and there's yeah. us going on about, oh, what what was the name of the uh, the other pub in EastEnders in 1987? <laughs> you know, I might <laughs> the Dagmar by the like, Dagmar. You know, yeah. Uh, if you know, I would probably think, Jesus Christ, these guys. I wouldn't go so far. Life's too short to to, to you know to bother to write the review. But I, it's it's a fair point. He's yeah. a, the man's allowed to have the, have his opinion, Ross. Or, or woman. Yeah. Like, it, yes, it was, it was a man. No woman's got no woman's gonna <laughs> a listen to us. Yeah. Two write a review on anything, are they? No, of course they've got better things to do. Uh, uh, what's so? What's this person's yeah. name? Uh, please? I'm Come just on, trying to find where the reviews. Oh are. no, don't. Mm-hmm. You can't be. be. No, no, I want to hear the review. You can oh, just beep right. his name out, please, when yeah. when it comes to it. Yeah, but I I I really want to hear this because I think it's brilliant. <laughs> and were you genuinely upset, Cleve? I was. It really bummed me out. <laughs> <laughs> Here it is. So it's from a guy called, and this is his Beep. Twitter handle as well. Yeah. And the the title is "Cut Out the Random Crap." <laughs> Fair. Fair. But, so basically, thirty eight episodes in, we just wipe. <laughs> we just start again at episode yeah, exactly. one. Yeah, I just read the Wikipedia uh, article and that's it and do nothing else. Much <laughs> like a lot of the podcasts, it needs more editing to trim out the moronic prattle. <laughs> <laughs> there was 10 minutes discussion about Star Trek in an episode about the woman in black. Brilliant. That's right. And that's I did, the last I thing did, you were expecting. I did look him up on, on, um, on uh, Twitter and he did have a little, just a couple of tweets into the void about how much he didn't like it as well. Amazing. What about us? Yeah. Yeah. Man, we've ruined really ruined his day. Sorry, sir. Moronic. Yeah. Seriously. Honestly, you know. But anyway. I love stuff like that. More More moronic um, chat. Come on. Come on. I can't wait to tell hell about this. More prattle. (laughs) (laughs) Maximum prattle, guys. Okay, so back to back back to Ross's uh, scripts. What it says is that this um, the film stars Oscar nominee (laughs) Brian Don Levy. In, the, yes. in, in his first of his two portrayals of the eponymous Bernard Quatermass. Big drinker. And, yes. And Ross has added, do you know that, the answer is no, that Don <laughs> Levy's third wife was Lillian Arch Lugosi, the former wife of Count Dracula himself, Bella Good Lugosi. God. Yeah. That's very uh, strange, isn't it? Yep. And then Richard Wordsworth, 
um, who features as a sinister taxidermist. Is there any other type? With James Stewart in Alfred Hitchcock's second version of The Man Who Knew Too Much, as well as appearing on British TV dramas such as The Hunting Tower and the legendary The Tripods. And notable in other Hammer... Unfinished. uh, And notable in other Hammer films, The Revenge of Frankenstein and The Curse of the Werewolf plays the tormented astronaut Karoon. Mm. And then I wish I, I wish I could have a son now and just call him Karoon. Karoon. <laughs> right, and then Jack Warner plays Inspector Lomax, who is insanely. I wouldn't say he's insanely famous, Ross. He wasn't. He wasn't. It wasn't UK. Not, at, in not the, at the time, right? As because he played the titular Dixon of Dot Green, appearing mm. in 432 episodes on staple of British television. Even though the nice, character had been shot dead shot, in the film, yes. the Blue Lamp. Yeah. Yes. Uh, from 1955 to 1976. I'm just going to call it now. If we get to 432 episodes, we can we can stop then, okay? Oh, <laughs> I'm allowing you to stop at that point. Yeah, Thanks. we're not going to get to that, please. <laughs> Unless our the, the AI relations of ourselves do Peace it. of death. <laughs> we'll, we'll step in before then. Hey, moronic <laughs> AI prattling. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Marcia Dean plays J- Judith Carood. Uh Dean passed away only, uh, sadly, this June. Yeah, I thought that was quite... Interesting. Good God, how old? And I'm not sure. Well, that's uh, like, how old was she when she died? <laughs> Good. She must have been in her nineties. Really old. Wow, that's incredible, isn't it? I think we're dedicate, dedicating this episode to her, aren't we? She was yes. born in 1922, so she would have been oh, yeah. 99. She... No, she would have been 100, 100. or 101, depending oh, okay. on when when she was born in the okay. year. Wow. Right. Yes, again, we show that. I can't do maths anyway. That, no. Not strong <laughs> Maybe she was waiting for us to cover this and then we we just... Yeah. Kept her hanging on too yeah, long. Sorry. 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 God bless her. God bless her. Yes. Yeah. Right. So we also briefly see the legendary Thora Heard in one scene yeah. as Rosie. Now Thora Heard is once again a staple of British TV and screen for so mm. many, uh, so many years. We'll inevitably talk about it. Um, and Ross has put that she lived for so long and achieved so much, she was the subject of This Is Your Life twice. Imagine if they did This Is Life now, that people would be shitting themselves, wouldn't they? Oh, I'd love it, yeah. <laughs> Russell Brown. Brand. Brand. <laughs> this is your life. This is your life. <laughs> I'm doing it in an Irish accent because the original man was Irish. A- a- yes, Eamon, Eamon, and- Andrews? Eamon Andrews. Eamon Andrews? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, so she was 100 or 101. So this is, we dedicate this episode to her performance in this film because yes. she does a really good scream in this film for quite a long time, doesn't she? Not, no, it, she yeah. doesn't. Oh, no, she's dubbed all the way through, yes. <laughs> but they cut back to her screaming. Yeah. Uh, at least once, don't they? Which mm-hmm. I think is great. Mm-hmm. So, shall we start with James? Wait, have you, I, have wait, you gone finish. through you? Wait, finish, oh, yeah. no, no, no. Oh, no, there's even more Wikipedia. Ross has been busy. <laughs> Ross has been busy. The Quatermass Experiment was originally a six part TV serial broadcast by BBC Television in 1953. It was an enormous success with critics and audiences alike, later described by film historian Robert Simpson as event television, emptying mm. the streets and pubs. And then amongst its viewers was the aforementioned Hammer Films produ- producer, Anthony Hines, who was immediately keen to buy the rights for a film version. Neil also saw the potential for a film adaptation, and at his urging, the BBC touted the scripts around a number of producers. 
Neil met with Sidney Gilliatt to discuss the scripts, but Gilliatt was reluctant to buy the rights as he felt any film adaptation would inevitably receive an X certificate from mm. the British Board of Film Censors. Hammers often met some resistance within the BBC, with one executive expressing reservations that the Quatermass experiment was not suitable material for the company. But the rights <laughs> were nevertheless sold for an advance of a whacking 500 quid in 1955. <laughs> Neil was a BBC employee at the time, which meant that he was absolutely handcuffed, uh, which meant that his scripts were owned entirely by the BBC. Wow. He received no extra payment for the sales of the film rights. Shocking. This became a matter of some resentment, and who can blame him on Neil's yeah. part? This God, is DC Comics all over again. Yeah. When his BBC contract came, came up for renewal, he demanded and secured control over any future film rights for his work. Neil remained bitter over the affair until the BBC made an ex, ex gratia payment of £3,000 to him in 1967 in recognition of his creation of Quatermass. Mm. And Ross it says, checks the inflation calculator, which is approximately £69,000 in 2023. That's, that's still... Sweet FA, isn't it? Yeah. Compared yeah. to when you think of all the the Quatermass stuff that's gone on, and they're still talking money. about it now yeah. as well. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. God, that's shocking, isn't it? Yes. And then he Ross has put our star Don Levy in his own words, specialised in he men roles, rough, tough, and realistic. And his no nonsense portrayal of Quatermass is very different from that of Reginald Tate in the television version. It was not to Nigel Neal's liking, I think, as we established in the last time we did one yeah. of these who said, I may have picked Quatermass's surname out of a phone book, but his first name was carefully chosen, Bernard, after Bernard Lavelle, the creator of Jodrell Bank, pioneer, ultimate questioning man. Don Levy played him as a mechanic, a creature with a completely <laughs> closed mind, which is fair, which is a fair yes. criticism. <laughs> Responding to Neil's criticism, Val Guest said that Nigel Neal was expecting to find Quatermass like he was on television, sensitive British scientist. Not some American stomping around, but to me, Don Levy gave it an absolute reality. By this stage in his career, Don Levy was suffering from alcoholism, as John previously mentioned. It was some weeks into the shoot before guests became aware of the flask of coffee that he always carried with him on set. and This was laced with brandy. Guests found, however, that Brian was all right. No problem once you kept him sober. (laughs) It sounds amazing. I'd love to hang out with him and uh, yeah. bizarrely my mechanic is also called brian which Don't um, is it yeah <laughs> no, he's not he's not brian uh but um yeah so that's a nice little tie-in isn't it mm. i don't know if he is a secret space scientist <laughs> uh, um he's but, very grumpy though so but i, but I reckon he probably him. is the head of the the british um sort of science research british rocket group yeah yeah exactly. I, I, yeah. Yeah. yeah why not exactly indeed <laughs> and then for our, our final couple of paragraphs, Ross has put another American oh my star. God, <laughs> I know, I is told this you. This whole podcast. Yeah, yeah, that's it. We can just go in a minute. Sorry, uh, another American star provided by Robert L. Lippert was Margie Dean, who we've just been talking about, who played Judith Carew. Mm. Excuse me, who played Judith Carew. A former beauty queen, Dean was allegedly cast on account of her association with the 20th century Fox president. Spiros Scorus, fantastic. <laughs> According to amazing. executive producer Michael Carreras, Scorus uh, had a girlfriend who was an actress and he wanted her in pictures, but he didn't want her in pictures in America because of the tittle-tattle or whatever. So he set it up through his, ben- through his, through his friend Bob Lippert. Val Guest recalled that she was a sweet girl, but she couldn't act. Her American accent was considered out of place in the film, so her lines were dubbed in post-production. Just like Sam Jones in Flash Gordon. Yep. But, <laughs> I think she sounds American 
Still. Anyway, yeah. yeah. I, I thought she was supposed to oh, be like Oh, Victor. American. Oh, yeah. Victor. Oh, we'll get you away from here, Victor. It's all very... Um... It was one of those things where I didn't realise until I read that. Then when I was watching it a second time, it just... It just so... It was so obvious. With the, the background sound just got faded out every time she yeah. spoke and stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. But it yeah. seemed like it was such a thing, though, wasn't it? In films oh, yeah. from, from the past. Of it's everyone. very Hammer. Hammer did it to almost all their female stars. I have no idea why. It doesn't seem to have any kind of scent. And a lot of James Bond films did it, actually, which is quite weird. Mm. Um Right, so it also says that the Quatermass experiment also saw an early role for Jane Stonetape, former girlfriend of Paul McCartney, Asher, who plays the little girl with whom Karoon encounters when he is on the run. Apparently, I spread on IMDb. I never thought of that link. I know it's Jane Asher, but I never thought of her being in the Stonetape. That's amazing, isn't Mm. it? Do you think the little girl in Quatermass experiment rose up to be... Yeah. Possible. Yeah, the part of the, yeah. the Neelaverse. Yeah. Yeah. I think that Big Finish need to commission some yeah. dramas featuring Jane Asher now, mm-hmm. playing yes. the period in between <laughs> Quatermass Experiment and the Stone Tape. Yeah, I think her encounter with Karoon gave her a psychic powers. A uh, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah we works. literally could write this now. <laughs> yeah. So, and finally, as expected, the Quatermass experiments were all <laughs> and finally. Uh, received an X certificate from the BBFC, restricting admission to persons over the age of 16. Mm. It was only the 12th film to receive the certificate since its introduction in 1951. Good Whereas most, most other studios were nervous of this new certificate, Hammer, who had noticed the success of the similarly X-rated Les Diaboliques, mm. uh, chose to exploit it by dropping the E from experiment in the title of the film. Oh. X is not an unknown quantity. It was the tagline? It was the tagline. Exclusive films used to sell the pictures to cinema managers, mm. urging them to exploit the excitement of the film. Um, a, a trick that Marvel Comics would, would, would run into the ground with X Men comics uh, <laughs> repeatedly in the 1990s and beyond. Uh, on subsequent re-releases, the film reverted to the title "The Quatermass Experiment." Right, that's good. Right, I can now turn yeah. the script off so I can actually see you both. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> there we go. Well, that's the end of the episode. Yeah, <laughs> thanks, Hope guys. Any, anything, uh, something, <laughs> something, for, something horrific <laughs> that I've done this week. Um, so, the film starts <laughs> with a sunset glass shot of a village behind this couple mm-hmm. who seem to be laughing in a very strange way, walking What's, down a lane. It's They're a like, sex laugh, ah, isn't it? Ah, 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 ah. <laughs> what do you say, ah, six laugh? Well, we identified in um, the uh, the oblong box that when people want to have sex in these type of films, they do the sex laugh. Where oh, I see a, what oh, you mean. Right. Well, this film, when it started on Amazon, the warning was cigarette smoking and sexual content. Yeah. And I was like, I know the cigarettes in it. I don't think there's any sexual content in it besides them kissing. There's quite a lot of shriveled bodies. There's a man. There's a man mutating into a cactus, which is yes, yeah, quite horrifying in itself. But anyway, so yeah, it starts with this glass. It starts with some really nice, vivid title sequence and some Mm. very vivid music from um. James Bernard, Bernard, our favourite Hammer composer. Mm. Uh, and then you've got this shot that with this kind of bucolic village behind them that then as, as soon as it cuts to them, 
they're just in the dark. And it's like, what? yeah, don't worry about that opening shot. Mm. We're now in the dark. And then and then it's, it changes quite quickly into a, a kind of... Um, like a kind of newsreel footage, kind of mm. tracking of this spaceship that you can hear, you don't really see until it's no. crashed. Um, and then a very wobbly set where some kind of cement dust is tipped onto an old man and the, and the young couple. Um, and then the reveal is that the rocket is um, a survived re-entry into Earth's orbit and the sp- yeah, and and has survived the speed of re-entry to land somewhere in Berkshire or somewhere. Yes, I don't know the where Bray- counties. Yeah, I don't know where Bray Studios was because you see subsequently that it is Bray, which is where Hammer Studio was. You see, there's a garage that says Bray Garage on it, which I think is quite funny. Um, so then, basically, the Keystone cops arrive to try and. Um, Spray yes. some water on the rocket, don't they? Which is quite yep. funny. I can't believe that the police and um, fire engines used in this film are from the 1950s. Yeah. They, it, it they looked like look, green, didn't it? Yeah, well, they look 1920s, don't they? It's quite weird. Yeah. Um, just just, just, uh, just a brief pause, just uh, a couple of things. I thought, oh, they, this so places it within, you know, it's a beautiful time capsule. It's, yes. You know, the, the, the it, at the credits at the start, it was... Thanks to the following people, Marconi, Amazing. just the company Marconi, the British yeah. Interplanetary Society, <laughs> and General Radiological Limited. Oh, I thought, wow, they probably supplied that's, all the, all the um, so scientific unbel- equipment, didn't they? Yeah, of course. Yes. Mm. And it's- my my note that I put, and Ross, you might have to cut a bit of this in, is that when the rocket crashed in the back garden of those people, <laughs> it weirdly, I don't know why this came up into my head. I was strangely reminded of the Beatles about yes. alien right? <laughs> that happened right here in this town where I'm broadcasting from. Excuse me, can I ask, have you ever met a creature from outer space? No. Have you, sir? No. No. And uh, what about you, madam? Well, actually, Jeremy, I have. Yes, yes, I know you have, Janet. Janet Elford, ladies and gentlemen, married to Dorset farmer Malcolm, who set her up, had a close encounter of the beetle kind. While she was out one evening, we landed a huge meteorite in her back garden and hid all our cameras. On her return at midnight, she was met by her local policeman, Peter Norton, who she knew, and the first thing we did was reassure her that all her family and livestock were safe. Then, the fun began. All right, Jan, don't worry. It's all right, don't worry. Don't worry, everybody's okay. All right. There's something landed in the garden. I don't know anything more than that. Okay. My kids are okay. Everybody's okay. If you come down with me and speak to my governor, all right, don't worry about it. This is Janet Alford, yes. I'm uh, Chief Inspector Kinnane. Where's it come from? Well, there was a shower that was reported about uh, meteorites about two and a half hours ago. Yes, James, I hadn't thought of that, but you are so (laughs) right. And I can literally see it now. The alien. 
Don't they make the him play the bottom play, of her garden? Everything. Yeah. Don't they make him play the Close Encounters stuff on a keyboard to yeah, the alien? Yes. Watch out, Beatles about. Oh man, we're going to get one star again. again. Beatles about you. Would better watch out. Beatles about. Beatles about. But I don't know why. But I'm also thinking of the Hollies being in someone's back garden. But that. But I think that was that was that was a Noel's house party. Oh, okay. That was definitely a Noel's house party. Again, for our foreign listeners, we should point out that Jeremy Beadle was a. TV prankster, TV who, prankster, who would who would carry out very elaborate kind of stunts and pranks on unsuspecting yeah. members of the general public, uh, and yeah. in this one, a, a kind of late middle aged lady uh, was. They decided to set her up and make out that an alien spaceship had crashed in her back garden, yes. and I, I can genuinely remember it was being like <laughs> hyped for. A- People were like, this is the best. This is the Beatles. one. This is better than the time they made that guy think they dropped his car yeah. in the ocean or whatever. Yeah. Or, or, goes mad. or when they pushed the man's transit van into the canal. That, yeah. Yeah. They were like, this is a level above. And yes. So, uh, yeah. So that I was think the, that it was when they were on a rating slide, wasn't it? And they thought, we're going to have to go bigger. Yeah. We're going to have to go We're going to have to go big. Um, <laughs> Like, it's yes, probably like Return that, of the Jedi came out, and they thought we, we need to have some kind of space, space, space vibes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that was that's very much the vibe. Is that yeah? So yes. we're in the home counties. A, a rocket ship has crashed. I might yeah. put, it's, it's a very beautiful 1950s looking rocket as well. It's very a classic rocket, rocket ship, design. isn't it? it yeah. it's 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 not a very realistic kind. Of, it basically looks like a. Um, what you call uh doodle bug kind of yes. um what the hell were, were they v8s oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah 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 v2 not v8 v2 yes. v2, yeah, v2. Like, which so always basically, makes me think of drama rama spooky about like the ghosts of a uh, of some kids in a school and you kept hearing mm. the um the doodle bug coming uh and then Ooh. and then it went, this is when it went silent that's, you know, that's when it's yeah. gonna come down yeah, yeah. two ep- oh, only two episodes of the bbc yeah. version exist and they yes. and they are, are available on YouTube. We're probably going to get told yeah. off uh, because I'm saying watch you watch it on YouTube. Oh yeah! I, I think... <laughs> so make sure you go and buy them on or, on Blu-ray. Blu-ray, folks, exactly. Yeah, from um, your nearest <laughs> Blu-ray supplier. W H Smith. W H. Yes, um, but the on those on those two episodes, which I I watched uh, quickly today, that um, in triple speed, yeah, leaves? no normal speed, but I kept falling asleep. The <laughs> They, they it crash lands in in the in Wimbledon, um, and Ooh. there's loads, oh, right. and okay. there's loads of people like there's got there's people living in the there's a house nearby and there's people in the house are trying to because the whole thing is obviously more expanded over seven hour long episodes. Mm. Yeah, um, yeah, 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 yeah. So it's in a much more um, crowded uh, area, and they do a lots about like a drunk turns up and there's like comedy going on and all that kind wow. of stuff. Yeah. Um, but they also have a whole thing about the the the, the the rocket having like two sections and the the top end coming off and it, it's a much more sort of a realistic kind of rocket yes. kind of thing going on. But I think they probably they condensed it so much they've almost lost the first two episodes yeah. in the film just to get get the the story going, which I thought yeah, was quite this interesting. This rocket isn't very uh, realistic, and when no. Karoon is finally revealed, he pops out of the rocket dressed like a knight in shining armor. It's yeah. quite a. It's quite a weird. He looks like a cross between an American football player and like an, a knight of the round table. Mm. So it's quite a strange. 
It's not a realistic kind of... One thing I noticed is that the the rocket lands nose down. Nose down, yeah. Yeah, but the the capsule is slightly askew, but the other way up. When they go inside, there is no bearing on what's inside to what is outside at, at all, all, is there? No. And, they, um, and they, put, they turn something to, it would look to straighten it up a bit. Yeah, and I don't know why they do that. Because <laughs> it kind of gives away the bit later on where the, the seesaw will walk up the ceiling to give away yes. that the, that the, the set, anti-gravity. The yeah, set yeah, rotates. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Not anti-gravity, there is no gravity. Um, so, a, f- a few other notes. Um, uh all the all the main characters are introduced in a kind of VW combi van. Yes, on the yeah. way to the event, which which is quite funny. But then, as the bus arrives, I think it changes color because originally it's black, and then it looks like it's in a kind of grey color, doesn't it? It's in a lighter color. Um, the the footage at this point is really interesting because it looks very realistic. It yeah. looks like a kind of um, uh, newsreel kind of thing of an actual event which i think is very clever and i think val guest potentially doesn't get the credit he deserves for this film apparently they were going to set the whole field on fire as uh but but for some reason they couldn't they couldn't pull that off so yeah i thought it's interesting when you see the um one of the emergency vehicles i think it's the ambulance turns up a policeman waves it down jumps onto like the um the the board on the outside the running board yeah yeah the running board and Pretty much goes twenty feet and then gets off again. So it was just like <laughs> was there like a puddle he didn't want to walk through. I, I also I also put down that it's the worst police cordon ever. Yeah, yeah. There, there's no people are just like pouring yeah, into the side. But everyone's wearing their pajamas and dressing gowns for some reason. Yes. But well, I just figured, more well, the chavalicious sort of um, nightwear you'd see if this was. Well, like, yeah, that, I was going to oh, say man. that's ju- that's just uh, daytime St. Melon's Tesco's in Cardiff, isn't it? Like, <laughs> um, so. Quatermass comes across at this point very ruthless, doesn't he? He's oh, yeah. basically mm. like... He's an utter prick. Yeah, basically, get the fucking rocket open. I don't care if they die. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but then he's a bit like, okay, someone is alive in there, but I still want you to open the fucking rocket. Yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah, he's just a bit of a knob. Um, and, but, and it sounds like he set, he launched the rocket without any um, authorization to launch it. I think that, yes. that was the kind of... Um, yes. The idea. Well, that's Lionel... What's his name? Lionel... Lionel Jeffries. Mm. Who plays quite an interesting character, but then by about halfway through the film, he's forgotten, isn't he? He's mm. the kind of moral voice of the film, but mm. then he just disappears. He's the grandfather um, from Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, isn't yeah, he? Yes, he is, yes, yes. Um, so we've already said the inside of the rocket bears no relation to the outside. Um, then you meet Victor Caroon, whose face is amazing. Mm-hmm. He's he's uh, an um, I I want to stick my Colours to the mast very early on and say that this is probably the best performance in any Hammer film mm. going. Wow. Um, I just think it's an amazing performance. He's got no dialogue. Um, it says, help told... me, that's it, isn't it? Uh, well, yeah, but you don't hear him say mm. that, do you? That someone else relays that for him. The mm-hmm. doctor relays that for him. And I think just the amount of suffering and kind of alienness that he puts across is incredible. It was interesting With, because in the the BBC version, he speaks mm, a lot more, and he's yes. uh, and he speaks German, and they make this whole thing up that well that they that which is something which didn't really come across in the this version was that mm. he he has become parts of all the other men who have died. So, oh, so like one of the one of the people is German, so he starts speaking German, and yeah, there's a, a good radio program about um, Great Mass with 
Stephen Moffat, Moffat and um, Mark Gatiss, and etc., uh, which I will link on the on the show notes. But they call him like a gasalt entity, and mm. they said that all, he just be, starts to absorb, he absorbs the other people in in the ship. But that's when he starts also absorbing other things when he comes out as well, which yeah. is something which they cut out for time, obviously. I think you can easily say that Nigel Neal invented almost every interesting sci-fi kind of idea going, yeah. can't you? Where I don't know how he managed to do it. I mean, obviously, this kind of thing is in a new idea that that, that this is very much War of the Worlds, where well, an alien spaceship or a spaceship lands in kind of like yeah, but it's too hot to get uh, near bu- and all that. Yeah, it's a bucolic kind of English countryside setting, and then you you know you 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 have the alien, but then obviously the idea that. Nigel Neal has in this is the alien is Victor Caroon. Yeah, mm. um, he, he takes on alien characteristics. And it's which also is got like, that, that locked it's room. It's such mystery. an amazing idea. It's yeah. it's brilliant. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. You, so you've got yeah. At first you've got this this mystery of where do the other two astronauts because they've disappeared, and then you find out subsequently in the most horrifying way. Again, it's really horrific. They've just basically turned into like lumps of jelly, slime. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and it's like. I like, I like the line because when they find out that um, there's bits of jelly like around mm. the guy who's been working, he goes, "I've been in there all night, and this stuff's been yeah, around." Yeah. And he yeah, realizes yeah, yeah, there's yeah. bits of astronaut all around it, him. Yeah, they basically invented body horror, like mm. thirty years before David Cronenberg. Um, and I, we mentioned before, didn't we, that um, John Carpenter is a huge fan. Yes, isn't he? Mm. And I thought that yes, even though his version of the thing. In I say is a remake of Who Goes There. Yeah, there were elements of his version of the thing, as you said, the, the whole kind of James. Yeah, yeah, the yeah, yeah. the alien absorbs you, yeah, yeah, and becomes you. And you all become the, the, alien, the alien, which is the yes. most scary idea, isn't it? Basically, yes. um, so uh, watching the start of it, where where um, Dixon of Dot Green is introduced, I thought a phrase came into my head like it's noir sci-fi. Mm-hmm. So this film is very much a mishmash of um, what was contemporary. It, it, it's kind of, <laughs> it's kind of, um, oh, what's the, 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 it's riding on the back of what was currently very successful right, at the Rock time. And things like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Films like that and, and American film noirs and, and sci-fi and pulp sci-fi. So it's kind of um I can't think of the word. What's the word when you kind of um exploit something for profit? Exploitation. Yeah, it kind of it kind of basically exploits what what's popular, mm. but in doing that it synthesizes ideas that are totally new. Mm. So you've got this thing, you've so it's it's bizarre in that you've got Dixon of Doc Green who was being killed in the blue lamp a few years before this, mm. but then he pops up again pretty much playing the same character in a sci-fi film. Mm -hmm. And that kind of clash of genres is like amazing. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what makes this film really interesting is that it just like, you start off with this weird, like uh, bucolic scene with a space rocket in it. Then you've got, so there's a lot of iconoclasm where you've got Mm -hmm. like a bucolic scene, a space rocket lands in it. You've got Dixon of Doc Green, and then he's investigating um, Basically a murder. an alien. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, it starts off as being a murder, doesn't it? But then you find out. And then, I mean, what you have then is is the fantastic bit where um, Richard Wordsworth, he has this um, fear of plant life. Mm. 
yes, um, it took me a while to work because when I first saw that, because first of all, the his wife brings in some flowers for him, and he's mm. kind of like this makes the uh, Karun who's who's pretty much not making any reaction at all. Yeah, um, they're mm. prodding Comatose. him, poking him, talking yeah. talking about him. But they can still get him to walk up and move around, which is yeah. interesting. But they're saying like mm. his, his skin is changing, and um, his his heartbeat's very very slow, yeah. isn't it? And in the BBC version, they're saying his skeleton is changing. They said he he's taller than he was when he took off as well, which again that, is an amazing idea. Yeah, it's, it's just brilliant. Um, but I thought that he was like, she pricks herself on one of the thorns, and I thought he was reacting to the blood, but he was actually reacting to the plants. When the they, plants, when you yeah. Later, find out that it's so he's got this mad fear of plants, but then. One of the brilliant things for me is when when um, Quatermass goes to see Dixon and Doc Green. Dixon and Doc Green, I think they've got they're comparing the thumbprints or fingerprints. Yeah, and it turns out that his fingerprints have just totally disappeared. Yeah, so essentially, mm. the, he uh, Quatermass is annoyed that they're investigating Karim for the murder of the two missing astronauts. So yeah. they so they uh, fingerprint him, um, and then that's when they find out that his fingerprints are just basically just. Mush. Gone. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and, but it's such a simple idea and it's brilliant because it's like everyone knows fingerprints are unique to each human and mm. it's, you know, fingerprints are shown as being a very human thing in design all the time. If you want to show humanity, you start with that kind of thumbprint kind mm. of mo- uh, um, uh, not not uh, motif. Mm. Whereas with this... This guy has lost his humanity because his his thumbprint has turned into mush, and I just think that's it. That's the 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 key part of the film for me. It's a really simple scene, but they're like, and then there's there's um, Quatermass is on the phone, and he's like, these aren't. Oh no, um, Dixon and Doc Green is on the phone, and he goes, these aren't even human. Mm. One of them says that I can't remember which one, and it's like, oh, there's this there's this pause where they go to say. These mm. aren't even, and then they say these aren't even human. It's just brilliant. But then it just shows uh, who does Quatermass know? What what's his connection? There's one. Yeah, he, lo- he launched a rocket without any authorization. <laughs> when it when it comes down, he says, oh, "I'm going to take the um the man out of there, and I'm going to keep him. You, no, yeah. one, no one else can look at him. Yeah, we're not going to put him under any kind of um quarantine. Um, and we we're not going to let anyone else look at him. We're not going to let the police investigate what's going on. He's he's yeah. basically in cahoots with the Queen. Yeah, <laughs> who who was on the throne at the time and was also a lizard. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. I also put that during that initial uh, sequence when they, uh, you know, when everyone rushes to the spaceship and you know, like everyone arrives, I put down based on what we then saw in the next Great Mass film. There was a dis- there was a, uh, a very disappointing lack of sandbag action. <laughs> no sandbag, you know, no no one declared that sandbags needed to be put down at any point. Which I was like, oh. You don't, you don't see Sid James get killed in this film, either. No, do you? I don't, no, no, no. <laughs> so we, so kind of for the benefit of people that haven't seen the film, um, they so having just managed to save one astronaut from this, mm. um, you know, this this journey, this preliminary journey into space, um, they then start to, uh, I say, then Quatermass et al. start to sort of put together. Uh, well what happened and we're told that there was there was film that in, inside the rocket it had been filmed and they take mm-hmm. it to i just put wow the film processing lab because it was just huge Amazing. and insane wasn't it, it was yeah, 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 yeah. Like, wow. and i need the best i need the best man on this the best process man in the country yeah <laughs>
And um, to that end, they then do manage to get hold of the footage. And then uh, we, um, and then is that when we see the, because to start off with, he was like, oh, we had our prism thing, which meant we could yeah. switch between camera view. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. That was yeah. really yeah. cute. I was like, you see Aw. the dials that say like speed and temperature. Yes. and um, Yeah. And then they say, show that they said after it's launched that, because when I was watching, I said, how much fucking film do they have on there? Because this is, yeah. if they're going to do the whole, then they say, that um, it's it, on a timer. It was a timer. They would do it over over certain amounts of time, and it's like, okay, right, okay. And then um, that they said that the temperature dropped significantly, mm. and you see they they do a little bit of um, two thousand and one with the rotating yes. um, set for walking up the walls yeah, and yeah, stuff, yeah, which yeah. is what was pretty good for the time. Yes, um, but then something happens. Uh, some kind of like weird, like um, uh, sort of liquidy sort of film effect. Yeah, and then they. Two, two of the men sort of like drop to the ground. Karun is sort of like clutching his head, yeah. and then and then the, the two people who have dropped out. They just turn to like the empty suits, and then it, yeah, yes. yeah, and yeah, then yeah. it fades out. And then brilliant line, run the film again. I thought that was really yeah. Cool. Yeah. Well, you it, while that process is happening, they don't really have any dialogue, do they? No. The people watching it, no. and there's just this brilliant piece of music, which is like this two note motif, which so you'd expect quite dramatic music at this point but it's not it's really low key mm-hmm. and it is one of the creepiest parts of the film because they're watching you get the sensation that they are watching the death of these two men yeah. and whatever has happened to Victor Caroon and it's really really effectively done mm. because there's no like screaming abdab it's literally just these scientific men watching this process mm. where you know what has happened in space and it and it's it's played really, it's really, really well. well. And the again, bit, it's really well directed. It's very well kind of storyboarded and really well thought out. It's very clever. The um the the BBC version that they sh- they show the footage to Karun and that's when he starts speaking German, which is, uh, is quite nice as well. Um, oh, so yeah, what we what we figure out and for our dear listeners is that they that we figure out is that something alien has got into the ship. Mm. And, mm. and cause this they don't really kind of explicitly spell it out as it was good it was a couple of weeks ago now i watched this but yeah. it kind of it's it's pretty obvious well, basically that, um they say it's like a pure energy kind of creature pure, don't yeah. well quite yeah, a yeah. Matter, and this is something stephen moffat mentioned in the thing i was listening to he says that he's got the special power of like whatever he says happens is true it's, <laughs> <laughs> it, it, just, like, it just comes to a conclusion with very very right? small amount of um sort of like uh, data yep. and then yeah. just and, th- and that is actually what the um what actually happens yes but they said they, uh, they, there's some kind of creature that lives in space just in space and they space. must have passed yes. through it yeah and, yep. and, and then it came on uh, sort of became into one of them. i mean in you've got to remember this film is like one hour 22 minutes long or something yeah. for economy of storytelling it absolutely rips through the story doesn't yes. it yeah. like yeah you remember scenes and a lot of the scenes are very very um memorable like a, a scene coming up where where victor croon goes into the chemist that scene is very memorable from mm. when i've seen it before mm. you watch it now it's literally like a two minute scene yeah, yeah. and it's like the, it's it's so ec- economical that it's mm. like i think that you know stephen moffat can say that and that is a very good point but also you're talking about film where um you know you've got an hour and 20 minutes to keep yes. someone's attention and they just basically you know they're just whacking it out and essentially and, that's what the and, doctor does anyway 
Well, well, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in in a contemporary Doctor Who story now, which is 50 minutes long, mm-hmm. you know, in, in Stephen... No, what's his name? What's his name, Cleves? The last showrunner. Chibnall. In Chris Chibnall's um, Doctor Who, there is no... Uh, I'm not even going to get into it. No, Edit no. this bit out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, but, so, but I would say that I did It's watch. nearly time. All I'm going to say is we're, nearly, we're only just over two months away it's... from the 60th anniversary. A new era is happening. Yes. Russell T is back at the reins. Thank God. <laughs> John Pountney, News at 10. Yeah. to breathe. And I would say I did watch the, um, the Lazarus experiment after this because which was kind of, it made me think of the whole thing of the, mm. the the creature being in the church at the end, and yeah, yeah, and yeah, 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 someone yeah. changing from one one version of, of a creature into another creature. And I was like, yeah. "This is massively." Even it's called the Lazarus Experiment. This is massively. Yes. They're they're quite a massive. And riff. is it written by Mark Gatiss? No, it's one? not. It's not. It just, oh, um, but it stars him. It stars it? him. Yeah, and he does it, and the, the old yeah. man makeup in it is brilliant. It's oh, it's really, yeah, done a really good job. Uh, it's um, it's the National Museum in Cardiff as well. Stephen Greenhorn wrote it, so who I've never heard oh, of. Okay, no, sorry. Yeah, I always liked that one. I thought that one was good in that season. Um, that's the season where it's Freema, isn't mm-hmm. it? Season, the, yeah, Bree. Yeah, Bree. Um, so meanwhile, back in uh, back, back back with Quatermass. Uh, mm. In short, his wife, uh, his wife. Who's who's he? Sorry, I'm dreadful again. Karun. Um, the Karun. <laughs> the the astronaut's wife decides that she wants to spring him out of the hospital, and that he's been under observation for long enough. And also during this period, we also learn that he kind of freaks out a bit whenever he's near any foliage, a plant, really, doesn't he? Mm. Any, any uh, yeah, any plants, he just he just like starts wigging out a bit. Um, my media water. Yes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> was that steps, um, John? Were you scared of steps? You, oh you got, God! Have you got over that? No, no. I'm terrified of looking down. <laughs> I can't look downstairs. I have to look ahead. Yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, gives me the willies. <laughs> so yeah, she decides that she's going. She's she's going to um, spring him from this kind of quasi hospital that Quite Matt has got him in under observation. But unfortunately, the, that coincides. The Central Clinic. Yeah. You've heard of that in London, haven't you, James? Of course, the infamous <laughs> Central Clinic. Yeah. We'll talk about some of the London locations in a bit because I was amazed to yeah. find out that it was shot round the corner from where I used to live. Just ah, again, no another South, after me going on about blow up in the other episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, yeah, the, the yeah. bit with Jane Asher's round the corner from where I used to live, ah, too. Anyway, more on, more on that in a second. So, yeah, um, he, uh, Karun, then kind of makes his first kill, doesn't he? Does it? He, he killed the hospital porter. Well, no, he kills yes. the, pri- the private investigator who's been um, hired to help him escape. Doesn't that's he? it? That's it. And Addr- it, 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 dressed it, as a hospital porter. Yeah. Um, yes. Well, that was quite a good bit. I like that that little business. I bit. really like that bit. That's yeah. very. It's very snappily directed. There's lots of good bits with lifts and people thinking, "Am I going to go back into the room because I've forgotten my pen?" No, I'm not going to because mm. there's some attractive nurses. I'm going to talk to them about Chinese takeaways. Yeah, um, and, and, the, and I love the bit where they they the effect they did to make it look like it was a lift by making getting a bit of car yeah. and move it down the window yeah. behind. <laughs> but if you put some, change um, the music to that, it would be a carry on film, though, wouldn't it? The whole that, yes. All that. Um, yeah. yeah, but that's where Karun sees um, a cactus and like and beats the shit out of the cactus, yeah. doesn't he? Well, is he forced 
this is what's brilliant about Richard Wordsworth uh, and his performance in this. Is he forced to put his hand into it or does he hit it because he hates it? I don't know. And I think you mm. you can't decide, can you? It's well, like, I didn't think he was scared of the foliage until you brought it up. And then I was like, oh, maybe yeah. he was. But I well, think- I think he's fearful of it. But I think that the, the thing he's been infected with is trying to make him... Absorb it. In absorb plant life mm-hmm. yeah so therefore he would be fearful of it mm-hmm. but i think he's forced to hit it and then infect himself with the with the um spines of the um you know the thorns of the cactus was it megalos like, where um tom, yeah tom baker, baker turns yeah. into a cactus yeah 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 I, again which is a horrible idea and i think that that it's again it's a, an idea that's really ahead of its time and james like you said uh, the thing it's mm. a monster that we become the monster. I don't think there's many um, besides um, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, which I think came out after this. There's not many sci-fi films that do that idea that the monster is actually us, which is a. Uh, but it's interesting, you know, like not... the xenomorph in the aliens films absorbs yeah, part yeah. of that, and, they, yeah, and later yeah, on, yeah, there's yeah, a yeah. boat called Ripley in this film as well, oh. which I thought was just a, <laughs> a massive coincidence. Oh no way, really? Yeah. Oh, I didn't see that. Um, so yeah, that's an amazing sequence. Brilliant. Go and watch it. Um, what happens then? Uh, so that yeah, so he goes out. He find, he, he kills the porter, the man dressed mm. as a porter. He sucks the life force out of him. The man has got his face. Gets oh, it's a brilliant off. effect. You, you don't yeah, see yeah, much yeah, of yeah, it, yeah. but I love that. That's what. Yeah, you I, I, yeah. I put it's pretty grim for the nineties for the nineteen fifties. Yeah, I, I think they, it's they a... really horrific for the mid nineteen fifties. Yeah, and then you you go to the wife in the car. Victor, oh, we'll get you. Oh, Victor, we'll get we'll away take from here. Safety, yeah. Do you want a cigarette? And he's like, he doesn't want a fucking ciggy. And then she looks <laughs> at his arm and she starts screaming. And she, he runs the horror off. of a cactus and, hand. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. And then it cuts back to her, and she's still screaming. And yeah. it's like, whoa, this. She's had a real fright, and I think that's really effective. That it's like. It actually cuts back to show us still screaming, yes. which is quite an unusual thing that it's like, it's so scary. They hold off the reveal of what's happened to his hand until a yes, little bit you later don't, on you as don't well. See, yeah. You don't see Mr. Cactus' hand until later, do you? No. no. But they, you talk, and it's interesting when you see a, a black and white film and someone mm. describes colour, which is always interesting. Yeah, yeah, someone yeah, describes yeah, yeah, his, yeah. His, Hand being grey like a cactus, and I would say, "What different yes. a cactus being grey?" Would be no, green. I would say a cactus was green. It's like um, I used to remember. I remember um, watching uh, Stuka on a black and white telly, <laughs> and um, that was just like the, the commentary. Then would be like, "Oh, they just potted the red ball." And, um, you know, that's something now that someone born in 1999 doesn't understand, really, do they? But, um, yeah, they do. They do. Yeah, they describe his hand as grey and cactus-like, don't they? And I was like, well, cacti are green, aren't they? Um, Grey-green. Unless it's... Yeah, grey, grey, grey. <laughs> You're listening to Gardner's um, questions. <laughs> <laughs> so then the next sequence. So then the film becomes then quite episodic in these really fast-paced um, sequences where you just see him uh, interact with more people and basically bump them off. Yeah, the police are, like, then looking for... So you get lots of shots of, like, boats being put into... Yeah, yeah, moody boats and, like, 
Squad car 609. Yeah. Can you go down to Deptford? That's it. And as, yeah. as John has pointed out, he goes into a pharmacy to basically, you know, to sort of get more stuff. And the pharmacist tries his hardest to help him. He's very, very helpful. Mm. Uh, but then yes. I, I did put that, that when he kills him, he does like die preemptively. Yeah. Before yeah. he's even touched him, he just goes, ah. He died of fright. Well, of that enormous well, yeah, yeah maybe he dies of fright. Died of fright. Fair enough. If fair you enough. S- if you saw a man half cactus, James, mm. that came to swipe your, um, but, you know, Panadol or something. Yeah. But I would say before that, though, okay, yeah, um, that's before he sees like, the cactus hand. His face yeah. is like dripping with sweat. He's got yeah. his he pallid. Right. If anyone yeah. came into my pharmacy looking like that, I'd think, <laughs> fuck, I'm not getting anywhere near that man because he's got something I can probably Cleaver, you, you haven't seen the chemist in the Ronda. That is literally <laughs> every person. But yeah. There is a lot of people interacting with someone who's obviously got something which is contagious in this film and not giving a shit about it. I don't know if yes. we are post-COVID um, worried about this kind of stuff. but um. Yeah. <laughs> well, the weird thing about the chemist shop as well is from the outside, it looks like Tudor, London. Yeah, isn't yes. there like, like a, a, the building next door or something like established 1777? 17, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I... It's like this is like the oldest chemist in London that he's found yeah. to go on. But then the police rush there and they find that after he's killed the guy, who at this point it hasn't been revealed where the body is, he's tried to kind of um some kind of chemical to make it the yeah. absorption work faster, which was interesting. Well it's suggested that he's trying to kill himself, but then oh. someone else says maybe he's trying to actually uh make it happen quicker, yeah. Mm. So that's mm. quite interesting in itself. And then they say uh, Victor Kroon was a, a engineer. He has, you know, no knowledge of chemistry. Mm. And then they say, well, Victor Kroon has no knowledge, i.e. the implication is that the alien has got this kind of secret knowledge, which again did it, is a did, brilliant Did he, abs- brilliant did he absorb idea. it from the chemist, maybe? That might have been what's happened. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's a brilliant idea in itself. And then obviously... They've got the reveal that the chemist's dead body is in this cupboard in the shop. Mm, mm, so they yeah. open the door and the body falls out. And again, it's another really good effect of and like this. The same shriveled, shriveled hand comes out. It's the same hand, which is quite obvious, which yeah. is a bit of a shame. Uh it just looks like he's suffering from arthritis to me. I don't think it's not it's not the most horrific hand I've ever seen, but <laughs> half his face is gone, so that's probably quite bad, isn't it? Yeah. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Ready to pop the question and take advantage of 30% off? The jewelers at bluenile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com to get 30% off. Select lab-grown diamonds. That's BlueNile.com for 30% off lab-grown diamonds. BlueNile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. 
Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. And then, after that, moving, uh, moving onwards, see, he, despite the fact that he's got virtually half of the Metropolitan Police Force after him. Um, <laughs> He manages to avoid escape, um, and then we then we get up to the bit, which is you know it's in Deptford, it's yeah. in southeast London. Um, down, it doesn't look like that anymore. Uh, it's no. greatly changed Deptford, south southeast London. But then yeah, that's when we and I've put it's Junior Jane Asher, everybody. Oh, amazing. Um, G- yes, the young Jane Asher turns up in a scene which is kind of very reminiscent of the famous scene in Frankenstein, Frankenstein James Whale well, Frankenstein. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. When you know he put when Frankenstein kills the child, he doesn't kill the child, even though it's an ex certificate. They they draw the line at, at killing mm. a child. Yeah, he, he does smash the like head a, off a doll though. Yeah, yeah, he kills creepy. the doll, which I think is quite yeah. creepy. Yeah, 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 yeah. So she tries to be nice to him because, of course, children are innocent and nice and what have you. Mm. He then freaks out <laughs> and then just sort of legs it off from South yeah. London. And I tried to have a look on the map and try to figure out like his route. Because mm. it's really odd that he then goes down to Deptford and then back into central London. Because I'm assuming that's supposed to be London Zoo. Mm. Mm. Is that yeah. quite far, Jay? Is that quite oh, yes, far? It's, it's, it's far. That's quite far. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's quite interesting. I loved all the, all the all the steamboats and stuff, like all and the yeah, derelict yeah, boats yeah, along yeah. the river and stuff. I was thinking, yeah, as yeah, a kid, good. it'd be amazing to play around there, wouldn't it? Oh God, yeah. That, all these... It's it's a very post-war London mm. kind of blitz area, kind of shitty london isn't it there's a bit it's, where some yeah. police are walking through obviously like bomb sites with like bricks yeah. and stuff everywhere and stuff yeah it, yeah there's it's when they go up onto, onto those train tracks later on yeah that's yeah. Like that like massive a ladder. totally different time yeah. and era incredible yeah. anyway we'll get on to that in a second um so yeah he then makes his way to london zoo and then we get kind of like a scene where we see he kind of uh troubles the animals yeah but this is what john was saying when we did the rats mm. to say that um, James Herbert ripped yeah. this off in the raps, didn't he? Yes. Yeah, where the um, obviously all the animals are worried about something, and this is where Karun is no longer humanoid, but we just see like mm. snail trails everywhere, don't you? Mm. Yeah, whatever he whatever he is, he's in the bushes, and um, mm. and there's a very realistic dead jaguar, or what isn't there? Yeah, which they find, and he's beat, and he's off, he's killed all the zoo animals and stuff, which is. Mm. And also, maybe you also think of American Wealth in London, where David yeah. wakes up in the zoo as well. And I was just wondering, was was that inspired by this film as well? Um, it's just interesting. There's also a scene very similar to that in the Cat People, the first Cat People film, where the lady who is kind of infected by catishness, for <laughs> want of a better word, go, keeps going and looking at this uh, kind of cougar or something in the in the. Uh, in the zoo mm. in New York. So I think it's quite a familiar trope in in lots of horror films, but I think yeah. this is one that's certainly informed James Herbert and potentially, what was the other one you just mentioned then, Cleves? I've Mer- already American Werewolf in London. American, American Werewolf in London, which I didn't enjoy. <laughs> yeah. Go listen to that episode. I don't, 
It's, yeah. And it's also, what I put is that, of course, when uh, the animals in the zoo see him, they all start to freak out. Yeah. Mm. Um, which I put, that's always good. But then it made me feel quite sad because the next day, like, we see all their corpses and their carcasses. Yeah. And, what <laughs> and what I put is, I imagine these animals were actually killed for the purposes <laughs> of this <laughs> film. What, what I always want is, and a bit like the scene in Predator where the American Indian guy gets killed Goes- by the predator yeah. i actually want the american really? indian guy to kill the predator, the predator and yeah. that's just i yeah. just want that to be the end of the film yeah it's well, one of fights in a lion and um, yeah. Peru. Yeah. that's what the this recent is, one is this, john yeah oh really uh, yeah yeah yeah, Prey, yeah. yeah. oh i haven't Prey. seen it i haven't seen yeah. it it's yeah. quite good so what i what i want in this film is for the lion to just kill victor Caroon <laughs> yeah. and be like i'm a fucking lion you're an alien but it's interesting he, he didn't absorb any of the animal traits of the animals in the zoo. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. But they turn into a massive fucking octopus. You know, where'd that come from? <laughs> Why not? Oct- octopus, cact- uh, octopus, and cactus. Yeah, both end with the same letter. Wasn't there a bit of um, the the bit of slime they got out of the um, the spaceship is in a uh, in a tank back at the. Um, the, the oh lab. yeah, that's bubbling away, yeah. isn't it? And at it's some point, tries to kill yeah. a mouse. I think. Is yeah. it, is it, does it, um, is it breeding or is it kind of... Well, they realise that it's got some kind of spore It can multiply, it, yeah, it can multiply, can't yeah, it? So yeah, so then they realise that there's a ticking time bomb of this thing is going to yes. um, spore at some point. Yes. And then uh, the next scene, amazingly, which I figured out, you know, things that you may watch when you were younger and then we watched them with more adult eyes. The next scene is Enter Thora Heard. Yeah. And basically, this scene is done because they obviously couldn't afford to film it. So she just comes in and tells them an anecdote about how she's seen something like weird and alien near her. And I'm like, they obviously couldn't afford to shoot this. So they just say, Thora, just come in and just just imagine you've seen it. Go. And she looked looked old in this. That's what I put. Was she ever young? (laughs) No. No, because once again, I didn't want this to be like a Clive Dunn thing where I was so utterly shocked at some point. Older than I care to admit as well. I'm going to say like my Mm. early 20s. Oh, no, maybe not the early 20s. When I found out that Clive Dunn wasn't actually old in Dad's Army. And they just made I was like, what? Because <laughs> <laughs> I was like, how um, old is he? I said, if he was old when they did that. My dad was like, oh, he was only about, like in his late 30s. And I was like, yeah. Jesus, it messed with my mind. Absolutely. But so, no, but Ross is right. She looks, she just looks perma old. Just to go back and to Clive Dunn. Time span, why then. did they, why did they, yeah. why did they um, cast, but why did they cast a young man in it? That was, that was his thing, wasn't it? Was but, like, but was it his thing before? Know, Dad's Army. But it's like, okay, well, we've got, we've got John Lemessier, we've got uh, Martha we've got Lowe, Lowe, we got um, the, the, the <laughs> Ian Scottish, Lavender. Ian Lavender. Yeah. Okay, James we, Best. We need someone from the... The, fir- co- from, the Cockney from the, one. Yeah. yeah. We need someone from the Boer War. Well, we've got this 20-year-old guy over here. We could probably make him look old. What? what why? Where did that come from? <laughs> Can we? Because anyway. James, James said, enter Thora Hood. Can we do something worse? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, not in that way. God, Jesus. Can we do something where we make Enter Thorahood scan over Enter Sandman by Metallica? Enter Sleep with one eye open. Being on last of the summer wine. Green screened into a triumph. Hell, <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> I was going to say my only memory of her was just being her winding the window down. <laughs> Um, all it, I remember is when they obviously were t- she was too old to put in the car they green screen <laughs> she'd be in the car with like the other three women who were in Last of the Summer Wine and then they'd have they'd all have their own monologues wouldn't they yeah. which would be well, I always get Beryl Reed and Fora Heard yeah I, I always do as well yeah. Cleves yeah. but speaking of saying monologues what I put was in many ways this scene is like the proto Alan Bennett's talking heads <laughs> yeah. isn't it <laughs> But with a giant space again, people slug. that don't know, the playwright Alan Bennett became very, very successful in the 1980s in Britain. He wrote a series of basically half an hour monologues called Talking Heads. Which yeah. inevitably the theme were Northern Life and people dying. And someone fought an over. Yeah. Talk, yeah, uh, basically yeah. Northern Life, cream. miserableness. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, futile lives, people dying. Yeah. Right? They're not la- they're not laugh riots. But Thora Heard did did a very famous <laughs> one, as Ross said, called a custard a custard cream behind the sofa or something like that. And in Pat Routledge did one as well, yes. didn't she, I think. And that's that's what happens here. She just kind of comes in and just talks about her life yeah. as a, as a yeah. like, drunk tramp and how there's weird things around London these days. Mm. I was like, well, how? You know, well, it's also like the Alan trap trope. We, we've got to have, yeah. Yeah. it's a horror movie trap. We've got to have tramps. Yeah. yeah. She, she so, needs to wait to the late 1960s then. She'll see some really weird stuff. I was going to say, she's lucky James Herbert didn't write this because the, um, Kareem would have <laughs> eaten her breasts, wouldn't they? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She so, looked down to see her pendulous, pendulous breasts, breasts. <laughs> bitten by razor sharp teeth of a rat the size of a cat. <laughs> it's coarse black fur bristling with ragged emotion. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and and then, awesome. then have a whole chapter yeah. about her um, being gay yes. and, yeah, 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 and yeah, being run it. over by a chank. Yeah. <laughs> so, Thora Heard reveals, and you know, they, the police, then figure out that she has seen Karun, and they're like, "Wait, okay, so if she saw him there, let's concentrate our efforts on this area." Mm-hmm. And the aforementioned amazing thing that, that I thought, God, that really looks so fifties this kind of railway terrace uh, so sorry this railway railway bridge going over yeah. a, like or running adjacent to a load of t- london terraced post war mm. oh, houses it's a world i want to wow. exist in yeah, it's yeah, a yeah. world and it's a I great shot because the hill goes up and they got policemen done at different yeah. sort of intervals so that it, mm. they sort of go up there and they make this guy climb up this enormous, enormous ladder <laughs> huge ladder yeah yeah <laughs> those stunt man involved but there's no. a, there's a slime trail up the wall, basically. And so, they're like, right, okay, we know yourself. he's nearby. Yeah. And in short, he has slinked his way into the centre, this is the heart of the nation's capital, and he's inside Westminster Abbey. Yeah, just cut, that, it, it does kind of speed up quite a bit. The, yes, the, it does. Yeah, yeah, it does. does. And, we cut to the chase. And like, obviously, which would have been um, event television at the time, there's someone doing a talk about um, some statues in Westminster Abbey. Uh, yeah, so they, li- it's live a live feed. broadcast, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, and yeah, they yeah, can't yeah. possibly stop it, even though a man has died falling <laughs> from from some scaffolding. Well, the guy, the presenter's like, well, I'm happy to carry on going. This is well, nice. that's what I put. I, I put, amazingly, at one point, like the police turn up and Gordon Jackson from The Professionals is the TV producer goes, yeah. I can't turn this off now! <laughs> <laughs> we got to keep This rolling. is just after the war, James. Like people were, you know, people had a different mentality. That's true. Racing drivers would crash and kill themselves every week just because they were Spitfire <laughs> <Insane>. pilots. <laughs> yeah, so the octopoid... 
Mm. Uh, life force has put itself into some scaffolding in Westminster Cathedral. Yeah. At Poets <laughs> Corner, no less. Yeah. Is that where it is? Yeah. <laughs> um, so Gordon Jackson from uh, TV's The Professionals <laughs> and um, Upstairs, Downstairs. Um, what do they do? They go and bulldog clip some live wires to the scaffolding. Well, that, that's after Craterbass comes up with the idea to do that. Yes. Yeah. He comes yes. running in in his... In his um, in his Mac. Yeah, but they said, if you, they said if you blow it up, it would just make lots of little versions of It'll it. replicate and then, and then it. Yes. Just, yeah, and it would start sporing off everywhere. So, mm. but he gets an idea of like getting Battersea Power Station to divert yeah. all of the power yeah. from the whole of the city onto that scaffold. It would do burn, you see burn the cable dials yeah. go? Yeah, I thought yeah. you did. Because. Uh, dear listener, I only got an hour in tonight and I haven't this, seen this film for a while, but I'm sure you did see dials with quivering needles at this point. And all the different areas where she's diverting the power from. And yeah. you see all the lights go go off all around uh, London. And, yeah. um, and uh, they basically electrify it and mount it. And then... Uh, and then, and what I put is once again, an alien life form is defeated by the the ingenuity of British engineering, yeah. just like the Hun. Yeah. World War II. <laughs> Take that. this is this is a metaphor for. Oh, oh, never mind. Yeah, no, it's quite a good death, isn't it? I I remember it being quite a good monster, and it's like ah, screaming, quite a good screech. Yeah, well, apparently hmm. they use all like bits of like bovine entrails and all that kind of stuff oh, to, to actually yeah. make the creature so it was it was all and i think organic. it's quite i remember being quite sad at that point that victor caroon the astronaut guy who's kind of put his faith in quatermass yes has ended up being yeah. electrocuted to death <laughs> oh, while cool, he's yeah. mutated into a giant cactus octopus well, exactly um, <laughs> and Quatermass shows no remorse whatsoever He's, he just storms out of Westmore Abbey. People are coming up to him trying to talk to him to say what about what's going on. And then yeah. one then one of his assistants comes up and he said, I need your help. Essentially, yeah. is it because I'm, we're going to start all over again. And then yeah. Tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's we'll send another fucking rocket up. <laughs> yeah. See if we can infect another one of these hapless but- twats. And and from those that that as usual with many of the films we watch, the very, very fast finale to it. What I put is everyone is very, very satisfied that there can't be any further danger from this alien life. <laughs> yeah. We're done, everyone. That's fine. Let's Even though we home. know there's other yeah. bits of it around. Which yeah. Are it's fine. Yeah. It just, yeah it, as Ross says, quite just walk, quite much just walks off. Yeah. <laughs> Bollocks. Next. next question. Next. Next. And also what I then put is, and meanwhile, this has all been going out live on BBC TV. Yeah. I just thought, imagine like that finishing. And yeah. now on BBC One. Here's Barry Took with points of view. <laughs> Here's that's life. That one with the bow The one with the bow tie and glasses. What was his name? I couldn't stop. Doc Cox. Yeah. That's Um, so yeah, what do we think, guys? I thought it was really good. Um, I would say, I, from what I saw the the BBC version, which I know everyone thinks is superior, yeah. I feel like the Hammer one went much quicker, and I yes. I was I didn't fall asleep, whereas I was kept falling asleep watching the. Um, <laughs> and I know um, one of the reasons we've done this is it's the seventieth anniversary of Quatermass, and they, mm. they yes. just this week they've done a uh, a live reading of the original script, which I think went on for over four hours, and. 
I, I, I believe everyone loved it and it went really well. And I wish I, I yes. could have seen it. That would have been great. It's a nice experience. Exactly. Um, but I feel like the, it was just the right length, this, this movie version for me. I really, really love this movie version. But I will actually... I I think I've got the original version on DVD somewhere and I can't remember ever watching it. I've watched the original BBC version of Quatermass and the Pit, which is superb. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think I might watch it now just to see what it's like. But what do we think of... What are the scores on the doors? Well, I've put on... My score was... Three. Three out of five. Hey, mm. That's exactly what I... I haven't looked A yet. Three! That's, mm. Yeah, that's what I would have given it as well. Were so Cleaver. Where was I? What's my What's my favourite <laughs> thing been? Oh, let me have a look. <laughs> Let's have a look. Uh, you've given lots of things fives. So you've given uh, the Omen five, Dead of Night five, the Earth Dry Screaming five. You've given Frenzy five. Uh, you've given <laughs> Whistle I'll Come to You a five. Oh, yeah. And uh, you've given the Stone Taper five. Yeah. So. Right, so I think this is a five, and it's up there with Michael Holden in Whistle and I Come to You. I think it's a five that's actually above the stone tape. Okay. So this is like a 5.5. So this is your favourite version of Crater I, I, I think this is, yeah, I think this is my favourite thing that we've watched. Wow. Watching it again tonight, I just absolutely love this, and I think it's brilliant. Um I just think it's so well directed. I think the sound design is brilliant. I think the music is brilliant. I think the editing is brilliant. I think the special effects are brilliant. I would um, say out of all of the quater, the hammer quater masses, yeah, um, I preferred the pit because I preferred that quater. I preferred their ver- that version yes. of the quater mass. I, I have a real soft spot for Brian, and I and I don't mind him at all. And I quite like his abruptness. I kind of feel like he, he didn't even need that character in it. Yeah. yeah, no, I just think it's like an alternative universe, Quatermass, and I quite I quite like him for that. Mm. But um, I think this is like one of the best things that I have watched as part of your general Witchfinders experience. Or yeah, in your I life. mean, it's certainly better than what was the thing we watched where there was a giant action action man came to life. Uh, oh. Extra. <laughs> <laughs> it's better than that. I still wake up screaming some nights, James. <laughs> uh, how would you? It's rate better the- than the scream. <laughs> Yeah. Well, the painting, the, oh, the shout, the shout, oh, the shout. Sorry, not... <laughs> uh, James. How would um, you how would you rank your um, hammer crater masses? Oh, I don't know. Don't don't put me on the spot like that. But like, all I, all I say is I really enjoyed watching this because once again, the joy of doing this podcast is uh, you know I don't think I would have gone out my way to watch this normally, but. I said for the ideas that it generated yeah. and that snapshot of Britain in the 1950s and the uh, you know the, the the various things we've already just going over it again this evening yeah i was just like oh i really enjoyed that i wouldn't be like i now must watch it again and mm. i now must watch it so i can't sort of put it in that category but i certainly would put it in my kind of category of hey if you're into kind of horrory sci-fi things from this it's you've got to you know this this has got to be on your must watch i would say all the black and white stuff we've watched has been really good i i i it's to me well, the, when yeah. the kids came and go, oh my God, you're watching black and white. And I was like, well. And? Just, yeah. Like, yeah. Like, like, I've died screaming, this, Quick Mass 2, um, yeah. Dead at Night. Uh, they've all been great. I think that British cinema and I think arguably British culture 
in general took a real step back in the 60s and 70s in terms of storytelling and and the characterization of women uh, as i say all the time on this podcast i watch an awful lot of um talking, talking pictures picture. tv and i think the stuff that's in the 40s 50s and 60s which is black and white is so much better than the color stuff mm. which is just like dolly birds and tits falling out and <laughs> it's just that some of it i i know it's american but i tried to watch death race 2000 the other day with um oh. Sylvester Stallone and um, yes. David Carradine. Car- yes. Carradine, Carradine. What an absolute load of tripe that was. <laughs> and it's just like, this is fucking awful. It's unwatchable. Where I like to think when um, Sylvester met the, met the Pope the other day and he said, I watched your films uh, growing up, it was Death Race 2000, <laughs> not the Rocky films. Yeah. Um, and, and and just pretty, you know, in Val... Um, Guests' own kind of canon, this film versus like Confessions of a Window Cleaner. Within 20 years, really, characterization and everything, storytelling in films went backwards in Britain yeah. by, by quite a long way and just made everyone into kind of um, ciphers or kind of caricatures. Um, mm. And where this film doesn't, this film's got great characterization. Um, and great performances from people that kind of knew what they were doing. Fast forward 20 years and you've just got really a load of shit. Um, which we will we'll, um, we'll come back to. Um, yeah, which I'm sure when we do our next film from 1975, we can say, God, this is fucking awful. This is an absolute stinker. Like the last film we did, was the last film the Sherlock Holmes one? Yeah. 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 That was an absolute stinker. That was bad. It was, in yeah. so many ways. And this film is probably half the length of that film and twice as good. Has anyone... i got something horrific. I've got something to talk about. Go on, then. I have as well. So something horrific is when we talk about other things unrelated to our main topic. Strangely, I came across a video on YouTube of oh a place called Tuttonia, which was yes, um, which where my my um granddad worked when I was uh, young. So Tuttonia was like a, a, a ultra shit like theme park in, in near, near Bournemouth in a place called Tutton, close, um, which is <laughs> which is geography and fact fans. It's close to Christchurch. Yes. Um, so, and some family in the eighties filmed their whole trip on a video camera. So mm-hmm. it's like, it was so weird seeing like the, <laughs> like they had like the, um, remote control boats where you put like, yes, amazing. And re- did yes. those and like, um, little like trikes would go around and like a, a go-kart course. And uh, the go-kart course went round a really, there was a really big slide. Yes. Wasn't there? Yeah. And, the and there was also around the, the big slide. And also there was a big rocket. Simu- it was the first simulator ride I went on, which was like a rocket. And the mm. when you was in there, you went off into space, and when you came back, a big spider had crawled on top of it, and then got, and uh, then it, on, it looked like it was like going around Tuttonia, killing everyone. This so, sounds uh, like a fever dream. Yeah, but yeah. so while I was watching that, I thought, like, oh, that's kind of the spaceship going up and coming back and bringing a, another thing. I said, oh, that's a bit like um, uh, the Quatermass experiment. Mm. That's weird that we're going to be doing Quatermass, and, and somehow YouTube is showing me this video of, of going to Tuttonia. Yeah. But then I did a bit of research on it, mm. and apparently, um, so 
the main attraction for Tuctonia was the model village where they had yes. like a miniature version of Buckingham Palace and Big Ben and all that kind of stuff, <laughs> which has now been moved to Wimborne. You can go and yes, see, you can the, the Wimborne mod, mod, model village. village. Yes, yes. So you can go and see it there. But which apparently- is, once again, fact fans, that is kind of spoofed a little in Hot Fuzz. All right. Okay. Oh, the, the, really? the miniature village, yes. Even because um, director Edgar Wright lived in this. In Wales. Place. He lived in Wales. Mm. Which is just no, well, he, in Wales to start off with, but he came to university in Bournemouth. Oh, okay, right. And he often talks about, he did a thing in Bournemouth. Yeah. Uh, he did a thing in Empire magazine where he talks about going to see various films at uh, UCI Tower Park. Oh, fantastic. But so, then yeah. I doing a little bit of reading about Tectonia, that the model village, which was at Tectonia, was yeah. used in a sequence of Life Force by Toby Hawk, <laughs> which was essentially a remake of a of, of um the Quatermass and the Pit. Yeah, and I so, where this was going. Yeah, and it's just like so weird that all of this all came together of like my grand. So the next film we're watching is Life Force. Oh, I, it's been on my list for such a long time. I really want I, to watch it. I think is there a woman? Is there a naked woman on the steps outside yes. St Paul's at the end? On or about on <laughs> on the video cover. There's a naked woman tied to what looks like a big rocket. Patrick Stewart's in it. Patrick it is. It... It, yeah. And just tying it into even more general witchfinder stuff. Yeah. Um, Jeremy Dyson, who uh, did... invented the Hoover. Yes. And <laughs> did Never Trust a, a Rabbit and What Happens Next, the book that Ross really enjoyed. Yeah. In one of his short stories, is all about a man trying to find a Tuctonia style place from his childhood which yeah. is no longer in business yeah yeah, yeah. and him trying to find it and um, when we was on holiday in um cornwall we went to a place called the milky way which was like a, <laughs> it's like yeah. a version of tuctonia in cornwall which is all it's sci-fi adjacent themed um and part of that they have a collection someone's um doctor who and star wars collection which is too big for his house so he donated <laughs> it to this place and you can just see all these really really ropey like mannequins dressed up as Luke yeah. Skywalker. And- oh, Remember wow. the guy that turned his house into the inside of uh, NCC One Seven Zero One? Yes, yes. And then it wasn't something something dodgy happened with him, didn't it, James? There was. Some I know. Pl- I think they tried to evict him, and then it was like, "What we're going to do with this fucking spot-on set of <laughs> NCC One Seven Zero One D?" But when you saw it, there's nowhere for him to sleep. He must have just lay, lay on the cold, hard floor of the Enterprise. But he went to ho- uh, holodeck to uh, yeah. sleep. Obviously, yeah. Um, I went to the Star, uh, the um, Bournemouth Comic Con. Oh day, yeah, dresses um, mm. Daredevil, and I uh, saw Mar- Marion Assertus there. Um, did you, now, did you actually go and speak to her? No, I didn't. Oh, she yes. was she was um, talking to Sylvester McCoy, and they seemed very friendly. <laughs> What Ross, is um, Ross? Who is that? That was your moment it for was this podcast. Moment, but I was going to spend forty quid or whatever it was. To, um, yeah, but they also had. Who, port- who's Daredevil, Cleves? He's um he's a Marvel superhero. What does he look like? Uh, what the version I was? He was just wearing like black combat trousers and a and a black rag around his head. I'll send you a picture <laughs> if you want. A black rag. Yeah. It can't what? be as. Any of them will pale in insignificance. And Ross, you can cut this bit out if you want as well. Yeah. Well, addresses the, the, non out of the, yes, the, one of the hardest times I thought I was going to faint laughing. I laughed so hard when Ross dressed as non from the Star Wars, Star Wars? from Superman. the Superman movies. Yeah, and, and didn't realise how hot he was going to get. It, it, and had to be cut out of it. It was a non, <laughs> it was a non costume made out of bags <laughs> and gaffer tape. <laughs> 
<laughs> um, um, non is a name in Wales. I know. I know people call non. Yeah, <laughs> but everyone <laughs> just thought I was Terence Stamp, so I just I just let, let into that. But it was no who problem. is this? Superman. Superman. <laughs> but I had to go. Anyway, and, <laughs> I had to go into the suit into the garage to pay for my petrol dresses. Non. And the guys go, "Hang on, I know who you are. I know who you are. I know who you are." <laughs> Superman two. I was like, "Yeah, yes." <laughs> um, Result. But then I thought, when I went to um, the garage dresses, Daredevil, I thought I'm going to pay at the um, at the at the pump. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. I had like lots of blood up my nose because I was acting and. Um, Drips of blood all over me. It's making it look like I've been beaten up. Cleaver, how old are you? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but for, but the, the, the thing has stopped working, and some man had to come and knock on my window to tell me that the the, um, the pay by card feed wasn't working. But didn't <laughs> blink the fact that I had all blood all no, down my face. Fucking did. In the car with two signs. children. Yeah. 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 Oh God! Um, yeah, Brilliant. so that's my seven horrific. Anyone else? Yes. yes, I've got one which it's about to become something horrific. By the time this podcast comes out, you will be able to listen to it. And mm-hmm. for you two, in case you didn't see this, you're going to want to listen to this too. So this is going to be on Radio Four on Wednesday. So yeah. if you're outside the UK, this will be you know BBC Sounds or however you can get hold of BBC Sounds, and it is called "You Must Listen." Mm-hmm. And what it says is a solicitor's office has a new phone line connected, but the staff keep hearing a woman's voice on the phone. Engineer Frank Wilson is called to fix the problem, and gradually the disturbing story of the woman starts to emerge. Originally broadcast in September 1952, You Must Listen was written by Nigel Neal. <laughs> One of the most admired Br- British science fiction writers of the last century, his Quatermass trilogy of science fiction serials continues to influence generation of admirers and filmmakers. Among them, the aforementioned this evening, Russell T. Davis and John Carpenter. But before the Quasimass experiment established his television career, Neil's radio drama, You Must Listen, paved the way for what was to come. It explores many of the same themes that he later addressed in Quatermass, The Stone Tape and The Road. No way. Yes, of the paranormal coming into collision with modern science. No recording of the original version of You Must Listen is known to exist. But fortunately, Neil kept a copy of his script in his archives, and this new version has been recorded to mark the centenary of BBC Radio Drama. Oh, fantastic. And it Great. is starring Toby Jones and Reese Shearsmith. Oh, wow. Yep. There you Sounds go. Amazing. So there you go. On Wednesday, you guys, but they've already said it's immediately going to be on BBC Sounds on oh, Wednesday. Oh, fantastic. So if you're so by the time this comes out, guys, check that out. That'd so I would good. say talking about Toby Toby Haydoke, who was um who who did the, the uh, audio version of The Road and was mm-hmm. really kind the to best. us and yeah. retweeted us. And, and mm-hmm. yeah, like, It is um, fantastic. He, He's blocked you now, hasn't he, Cleves? No, no, he hasn't. <laughs> no, he hasn't. Um, um, what was I yeah, so Toby Hodek, he's been writing a, a book about um, Quater Mass, but it's t- he's been writing it for so long and it's so big. Mm-hmm. He's doing it now as three volumes, one about each of the three um, stories. Oh, wow. Okay. So the, the, the first volume <laughs> yeah. should be coming out soon. So I, I would recommend you keep an, an eye out for Toby Hiddick's yes. about the Quatermass experiment, which should be coming Amazing. out before Christmas this year. Um, I have just thought of my something horrific, mm. and this has come totally to me as a bolt from the blue. Mm-hmm. In 2011, I made a concept album, which was a tribute to 
the Quatermass experiment. Okay. Wow. <laughs> where, where can we now he this? drops this on us. Um, I think it's on SoundCloud. Okay, give me the link. I know and I'm... and the artist was called Victor Caroon. Oh, fantastic. And this was this was me and my friend Gareth. Cleaver, you've never heard this. Have no, you? no, I haven't heard. Wow. <laughs> what on earth? <laughs> so basically, when I set up Warwick Hall Studios in Cardiff. Uh, I was suffering really badly with IBS. <laughs> so it's just recorders of you on the toilet, is it? Yeah, pretty much, yeah. <laughs> Hell was in Texas with the International Baccalaureate. Wow. Me, me and my friend Gareth, because we were so bored, he ran this recording studio downstairs where we had, where before I worked there, we had Stereophonics, Mannix, Catatonia. Loads of Welsh bands used to... Um, uh, rehearse and record down there. Oh, I remember we, this place. Yeah. yeah, we took it over and we had, um, we did the first episode of the picture of Dorian Gray in there, which was Alex Vlahos, who I photographed recently. Yes. And a massive um, uh, career coup for me. This is where folk keeps the next, isn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. This is where I met Katie Manning as uh, TV's Joe Grant from TV's Doctor Who, who came mm. to my recording studio to record dialogue for. Um, the first episode of Dorian Gray. Oh, what was that? Was she Which, in the first episode of John Pertwee's Doctor No, she wasn't. Oh. <laughs> so, but while we were there, I created this super group for a few of us that used to use the studio, and it was called Victor Caroon. With Katie Manning? No, no, not with Katie Manning. And we did a, a concept album around uh, the Quatermass experiment, which... John, can I, I release I this? Can I release this on the podcast feed? Uh, feed for people. The to... whole album. Yeah, I could. Pick... Yeah, of course you can. So, I my my only ever recorded song is on the album. Are you doing lyrics? You're singing. I did the lyrics and I wrote the song, and it's called Mister George Windsor, and it's set in an alternative universe where the Quatermass experiment is set in. <laughs> A, a universe where a George the Fifth, George the Sixth, is still on the throne, <laughs> wow. and it's and it's from it's Where's... a love letter from Victor Caroon to George the Sixth. <laughs> well, could see why she were on the throne as well. Yeah, amazing. Um, how, so, how long is this? It's about forty minutes. Fantastic. I'm looking um, forward to it. Give me. The I mix. got really, I got really good at, at this. Um, um, app or software or whatever you call them these days called Reaper, which was this thing that you could use to record sound. So mm-hmm. while Hell was in Texas, I was just in there 24 hours a day, like recording machine gun sounds and like Spitfires <laughs> and stuff. <laughs> and, um, and we made this album and we did we did promotional photos as well. Oh, um, where me and Gareth, yeah, yeah, yeah. Share. Me and Gareth are wearing these like REF jackets and stuff. But um, yeah. So I'll um, I'll share that with you, Gleaves, and you can put it on the show. <laughs> <laughs> I've sent it to um, um, who's the guy that's um used to be on with Lard on Radio Six? Not Mark Radcliffe, the other one. Mark Riley. No, no, it's uh, Stuart McConey. Stuart, I sent okay. it to the Freak Zone. I sent it to the Freak yeah. Zone several times, and he's never played anything. Oh, from okay, listen, and I'm like. This, is, this is more freaky than anything he's ever played. Okay, listen, it's what we want you to do. Uh, if you're going to do anything for us, send a link to Stuart McConey to this to, to the episode which I'm going to post of this to try and get this on the freak zone, all right? Yeah. If you will it, it is no dream. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, can, yeah, yeah. 
We're going to manifest this, guys. Yeah. Wicked. All right. Well, mm. next episode, yes. we are going to go back to what we were originally meant to be doing, which is The Innocents. So oh, a, God. This right. is another black and white, isn't it? <laughs> oh. Yes, it is. Unless you want and to do Life Force, so it's up to you. Um, I don't mind. I th- uh, The Innocents is quite a serious, highbrow film. No. <laughs> should we do Life Force? Let's see, should we do um, Patrick Stewart and Life Force instead? Yeah, let's do Life Force. Okay, right then. Picard. Yeah, let's do Picard. I bloody love Picard. Okay, well, thank you very much for listening, everyone. Catch us next time when we will be watching... Oh, I've forgotten what it was going to be called. Life, Life Force. Force. <laughs> Life Force. <laughs> thank you, everyone. Have a, good, have a good month. We'll see you soon. Love, light, and peace. Uh, happy day. You have been listening to The General Witchfinders. <laughs>2011, while suffering from a very bad bout of IBS, I (laughs) (laughs) I wrote and created a concept album based around 1955's The Quatermass Experiment. For your listening pleasure, here for the first time, in full stereo, I present Victor Caroon, The Quatermass Experiment. Uncle Tom is a very rich man. He drives a Bristol 401. I went to his house in Tunbridge Wells. Before I got to the door, he'd opened it, closed it, and stepped outside. 
Get in the car. We're going for a ride. Keep your hat on. The heater is broken. We pulled off the drive in first, moved up into third, missing out second. We just got into fourth when we had to return back to third quickly, as a man in a yellow jacket on a bicycle pulled out in front of us. A sharp kick down into second sent us rocketing past him, then straight back into fourth. No third this time. I am high," said Uncle Tom, "but I feel low. Now we lose control and then we crash. I crack all of my pale white bones. He snaps his glasses and sits very still in his chair. The cyclist in the yellow jacket is killed also. <laughs>
go. Oh God, I don't want to go.
control. Advise. Ground control. Advise. Advise. Ground control.
BBC with an urgent message from London. All, uh, hang on a minute. This is the BBC with an urgent message from London. All, this is the BBC. This is the BBC with an urgent message from London. All citizens of the home counties should go indoors as quickly as possible. The... Yes. And what's the name of the rocket?
Right.
certain night, the night we met, there was magic abroad in the air. There were angels dining at the Ritz, and a nightingale sang in Barclay Square. I may be right, I may be wrong, but I'm perfectly willing to swear. That when you turned and smiled at me, a nightingale sang in Barclay Square. I know because I was there. 
Thank you for listening. Victor Caroon, R. John Poutney and Gareth Wardle, with additional instrumentation from Matt, The King, Cook, Asha Phillips, and Sinead McMillan, and a terrified Joe Northwood on saxophone. Good night and God bless. Coming soon, Quatermass. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.